Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sittner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with artists and creators from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul through Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. And if you've got something going on around the Twin Cities you'd like to talk about, we want to hear from you. Email us at badmouthtc at gmail.com. Mouthing Off is sponsored by Minnesota Playlist, the digital destination for live performing arts. Producers can find talent to work with. Directors can cast productions with audition ads. Teachers can find students with a classified. And audiences can find the perfect show to attend on the state's largest calendar of theater and dance shows. Find out more at minnesotaplaylist.com. We hope you enjoy the show. We're back with another episode of Melting Off, a theater arts and culture podcast for the Twin Cities and beyond. I'm Kevin Couchman, back in the saddle again, back in the studio, the virtual studio here in a beautiful summer evening in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hello, Frogtown Radio. Hello, St. Paul. Hello, Internet friends. Hello, Minnesota Playlist. We're very excited to be there as well now. Could not be doing better here in Minnesota. I'm joined again by Amanda Forstrom, number one. How are you, Amanda? You're busy. You're busy with the Walking Shadow production of Red Speedo. I am. It's it's busy. It's a whirlwind. But man, it feels really, really good. It's out at Hamlin University's pool right here in St. Paul. And a little fun fact, I didn't know it was the oldest university in Minnesota. 1854, oh. I believe. So that's pretty cool. But I'm super excited to be joined by Mari and another guest, friend, artist from a history theater. So we'll hear more about that soon. Very excited. For sure. Mari, yeah, up? let's get Mari in. Mari, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad to be back recording again and glad to talk about another great show happening in the Twin Cities. At History Theater, our friends at History Theater, we're big fans. And today uh, they have sent to us Jen Marin. And Jen is here to talk about the upcoming production, the re-re-re-reproduction. This is a very popular <laughs> musical called Glensheen. Uh, and I, I let her introduce herself. So welcome to uh, Mouthing Off, Jen. How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, everybody. Um yeah, I've I've started to call it a Genshin because it just keeps coming back. <laughs> and <laughs> we hope we don't we uh, never nothing is ever promised to us. So every year we get to the point of is this going to be the last one or are we going to come back again? So we never really know. And whenever it does come back, it's a pretty big um, excitement. But Amanda, I quick need to say that I'm so excited to hear that you're working with Walking Shadow. They're one of my favorite companies that I've worked with in the past. And my husband is another actor in town. He's coming to see your show on Thursday. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Artists supporting artists, supporting yeah. artists. Yeah. Work I, his work is, I, is awesome. I love Walking Shadow. I, when I will say this, I will honestly say this when I joined, when I joined Equity, which was eventually for Glenn Sheen, I had a really hard time deciding to do it because I loved working for them so much and they were not able to do equity contracts. And I was like, 
oh, so I made the choice, but it was a hard one because they are, they do some great work and, um, yeah. So kudos to you. And I'm, I'm really, I can't see the show cause I'll be in rehearsal, but Pete's coming and, uh, yeah, we're not, we live, I'm in St. Paul as well. I'm in Hamlin Midway. So I'm just down the street from Hamlin. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited to see him. I'll yeah. ha- like tell him to say hi afterwards because I would love to meet him and, and, you know, meet, Send yeah, him your meet way. more people. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yes, anyway, go ahead. No, no, not at all. So this is the seventh production of Glenshine coming up. We got to hit it right away up top. It looks like it's running from July 8th until the 23rd this year. Uh, so in the next, I guess, couple of weeks coming up fast. Yeah, so you're in the a, middle of rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start, well, we're, we're starting this week. Um, tomorrow, actually, June 27th marks the 46th anniversary of the double murder that happened in Duluth. Um, and we're starting rehearsal on Wednesday, so right after that. Um, and uh, yeah, this has been a, a wild ride from from day one. And the response to it, I have to circle back for a second. I was listening to your um, one of your shows with my dear dear friend Adam Qualls as Jesse James, and I was I was chuckling as I'm listening to him <laughs> because first of all, we we've worked together on many shows, not albeit Glen Sheen. We've done another Hatcher Polling musical called Lord Gordon Gordon. We worked at the Children's Theater together. We just go back a long way. So for me to see him take the lead in Jesse James was so I was so proud. I was like a, a mother out in there just going, oh, I'm so happy. Um, but the uh, I was chuckling at him because I think it was maybe you, Amanda, that was mentioning that you were trying to track down the music of Glen Sheen online, maybe, and mm-hmm. having a hard time locating it. And, and Adam is like, well, there's a there's CD, but I don't know where you can find it. And I just <laughs> I just started laughing. I was like, well, I got to get your marketing done here. So I'll tell you that you can go to glensheenthemusical.com to get the CD if you want it. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and um, Apple Music, and you can find it on YouTube as well. So the music. Excellent. The is there some good audition material in there? Yeah, I, especially for women. Uh, there's one. Excellent. The my 11 o'clock number is, oh, is a barn burner. It is so good. And, you know, Chan Poling can write a hook. Um, and if people are not familiar with him, Chan is the um, he used to work with the suburbs back in the 80s and wrote a song called Love is the Law. Um, and now he works with the new standards and he and Jeff have collaborated on a lot of things before. So they, they just are a crackerjack team. And there is a song that I do at the end and for women, uh, well, women of a certain age, that being myself, the first line is a woman of a certain age is invisible. You pass mm. her on the street. And I cannot tell you how many women come up to me after the show and say, that it resonates so much with me. And I'm like, yeah, mm. isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? But it is, she gets to have her say in the end. So it's it's a really great song. So yes, the point is go check it out. There's also great songs for men in there. So yes, go find it. That's fantastic. This is a side tangent, but I just saw a meme on the internet comparing the age and comments of Sarah Jessica Parker and Brad Pitt, who are similar in age. 50, 59, 58 or something, and about the uh, very wildly different comments about their age and how they look. So that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah it's a very different world. And you would hope that um, things are changing. But I, I don't know. I'm still and I, you know, 
looks, listen, I love theater, but they love to talk about how it's inclusive and accepting of all types and bodies, but it's still got work Mm. to do. And if Mm. you, especially if you've spent time in New York, which I think you have, Kevin, yeah, there's a Broadway Um, body. Oh yeah. Mm. So it's a, a, we're in a strange business. I call it the roller coaster. It's nothing better when you're at the top. And then when you're looking for a work, it's like you're going down and plummeting to the depths of despair. And then you get a job and you go back up and it's wonderful again. It's a crazy business. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely. <laughs> show business. Well, I'm show read. Is, baby. <laughs> uh, very nice. I'm just going to read for people who don't know what Glenn Sheen is. Uh, and I'll confess I've yet to see it. I, hopefully Amanda and I can come. History Theater has been generous, you know, getting us, uh, you know, uh, seats. But this is this is the uh, the pitch on the website. 1977, an heiress, kind and generous, is found dead in her bed. Her night nurse lying lifeless on the staircase. A robbery? A clumsy break-in? A conspiracy? A scandal? The Congdon family tragedy splashed across the headlines of every newspaper in Minnesota. But what really happened on that fateful night at the Glen Sheen Mansion? Who done it? Witness the dark musical that tackles the tale with wicked dialogue and evocative music. That sounds like a good night in the theater. You know, you know who did it. You know who did it. I'd like to say Uh, it. Tell us. Allegedly, allegedly. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So for people, there's quite a. I. You know. I. I have seen the mansion. I grew up. Saw. I went when I was young. I went up to Duluth and saw it. Um. I didn't really pay much attention because I was a kid. And as I got older, I started to peek a little bit more into the story behind it. And, you know, one of the things that they first talk about is everyone, not everyone, but many people know of the murders. And the first thing people say was like, where, where did it happen? Which room did it happen in? Where was it this? And the tour guides immediately say, we don't, we don't discuss, we don't, do not, we do not discuss the murders and they just, they will not talk about it, which is ridiculous because they also sell the book, the books in the bookstore. <laughs> um, so our show, they cleverly set, they cleverly set this, um, the main center set piece is the staircase of the Glen Sheen mansion. And it, for those of it that know it, go there and say, oh my goodness, it looks exactly like it just shrunk down a little bit. And that is the center of sort of everything that it's, it's very, um, it transforms into, at one point you're in a plane at one point you're, it's just very, um, it moves the pieces a lot. It's a seven person musical. Um, and it has, so the center, the staircase really plays a, a very important role because there was a, terrible murder there and then um we start out um the show with a tour guide and a tour and they will not talk about the murders and immediately from the off the bat laughter happens and you would not think that you would laugh as much as you do in this show about terrible terrible tragedy and mental health and all these things Mm. that went wrong Mm. but these two men and the state our director Ron Peluso and and just sort of kismet kind came together and it is so funny and we have people they just roar with laughter and then there are moments and then they swing you back down and suddenly you're crying with tragedy and then in the next minute you're wondering well maybe maybe she was just a really broken individual like maybe there is you know could it was is it nature is it nurture what is it um, mm. so it's really remarkable what this team on all elements, the costumes, the lights, the set, the sound, 
um, the direction, the beautiful orchestrations by Chan and then Bob Elhai, Robert Elhai uh, did a lot of the arrangements. And he did this, um, he's best known for this little, um, little unknown sketch called A Lion King. Yeah, he arranged the music for The Lion King. Oh, um, so he's he's got some he's got some success with creating beautiful orchestrations. Um, so there's these, and we have a chamber orchestra that you, you can see the whole time with the cello and winds mm. and very small orchestra, but it's really um, they all the elements just kind of came together. And I was coming home uh, just recently from an out of town gig with two women who had had seen the show they've seen it multiple times between them and and they said yeah we're gonna come again and i said well that's so awesome can you what is what what makes you come back and they well one of them said well part of it is there's just every element is sort of fulfilling so each production part even the acting the singing the staging the as all the things i mentioned so sort of all come together in this moment and then it's so many people, and I'm certainly guilty of this. I love if something says based on true events or inspired by a true story, I'm like, what now is this? And when you start mm. digging into it, it is what this woman has done and maybe still is because she's still alive. Um, she's down in Arizona. She will be 91 this summer. Um, who knows? Um, she is a smart, <laughs> smart cookie. Um and it's so that was her. So based on true events, the all of the sort of elements coming together. And then um, this other woman said right away, said that she really relates to the final song that I sing, which we talked about earlier. And then also just the like she happened her. Let me get this right. Her grandmother knew the nurse Velma who was killed. And we have so many of those stories, people that have come that know the family members or knew Marjorie or, you know, was a chauffeur for so-and-so or, you know, we've had for, former jurors come to see the show. Um, uh. we've had, it's been, I always tell this story and it, it sort of broke my brain, but one night after a show, I came out and I look very different than the person I play. I have a wig on and I ages me. So many people don't realize it's me when I'm leaving, which I think is, makes me feel good. I'm like, good. I don't really want people to think that I'm that person. Um, but she's sure fun to play. Um, but I came out and we were, you know, I was chatting with people and this gentleman came up to me and he said, um, I just wanted to say thank you for the performance. This is my second time I've seen the show. Um, and well, I just wanted to commend you on on grasping Marjorie. And I said, oh, and he said, yeah, she was a lot of fun until she wasn't, until she no longer had use for you. And mm -hmm. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. You must have known her. I said, yeah, Marjorie killed my parents. What? Whoa. What? Yeah. And then my hair just stood on end. And I was like, do you want comps? <laughs> awkward and, and he so oh yes goodness. it was the son it was the son of um marjorie's third husband and his wife uh allegedly they've never been able to prove it but allegedly uh it's likely that marjorie poisoned helen and then um very likely uh married her husband wally and then when Marjorie was arrested for arson, the judge gave her a 24-hour stay because she pleaded with him that she needed 
um, just 24 hours to take care of her husband. And when they, they said, oh, she's a nice old 80 year old lady, whatever she was at the time, they said, sure. So they took her back and they left her for 24 hours. And when they returned home, they found Wally dead. So she had, and she claimed it was going to be a double suicide. And then she quote, backed out of it. But they also found a cut garden hose hanging by the stove that was open. So it's, but they couldn't, she's so intelligent that she was able, there was enough evidence that, that they could, for reasonable doubt, that they couldn't pin that one on her. And that is pretty much what happened with, um, she had an excellent lawyer of Ron Meshbesher of Meshbesher and Spence, if anybody knows okay. that. Yeah, I've seen uh, billboards. Yeah. Yeah. Meshbesher right. and Spence. Do Ron we Mesh- cheat him and how? Right, right. There you go. Um, and she uh, she had him as her lawyer in the 70s, and um, he was really good at his job. And he just blew holes in uh, the case. And they, the, as one of the jurors said, well, we we were fairly certain she probably did do it, but there was enough doubt that we couldn't convict. So that's another piece of this story that there's this, the other part of it, it looks so much at our justice system and Mm. how flawed it can be. And um, so for people, I always try to explain it. Like if people are familiar with the musical Chicago, sort of that literal song and dance in court, that's what's happening here. That's the tone mm. of this sort of dark, wicked sense of humor and, you know, laughing at this horrible, horrible thing that occurred. And the then the amount of things that she continued to do after the murders. And it's it's just a, you just can't make this stuff up. Does, Gracious. Hmm. Does she know that about this musical? And <laughs> has she seen it? Or well, last listened we heard, to the music? Um, I don't know. Last we heard um, was so one of the first reporters to crack the case was a man named Joe Kimball and his his character shows up in our show. And Joe has kind of followed her throughout um, her time and her life. And he saw her last, I think, maybe 2015 or 16. So maybe after the show and she wanted, you know, she flipped out when she saw him and didn't want him anywhere near. So the last we heard is that she was living in, um, well, she had been living in a um, senior living home, but you see, she befriended a very elderly man and got him to turn over power of attorney to her. And then somehow he unexpectedly died. And before she told his family that he was dead, she had the body cremated and she continued cashing his checks. So after that instance, they asked her to leave the facility because they didn't want to lose any more clients. Um, And so now she, the last we heard, she lives in an apartment building, kind of like a senior living space. Um, We do know that one woman had... um, gave an interview and said that she did she'd heard about these things that but it couldn't possibly be true but she did have to sign a form from Marjorie's parole officer basically stating that she was aware of what this woman had been accused of basically saying look if something happens to you we warned you um so we don't know it's um it hasn't gone down to Arizona yet i won't say never but it, yet it has not gone down there um i wouldn't be surprised if she knew but mm. i know some of her children have seen it 
they mentioned the uh oh they mentioned the uh musical on the wikipedia article about elizabeth so the family probably knows i am reminded of that great hbo miniseries that went around the jinx do you Mm -hmm. recall that Mm -hmm. just sort of you've got this super wealthy family and then there's sort of uh, murder and things that happen this is this is wild amanda were you going to say something I, no, I was just, I have so many questions, but I also remember going to the mansion as a kid and, you know, not completely understanding that people were killed. But at the time, I was very into Nancy Drew mysteries. And so I was really bothered that that nobody had solved this and that they wouldn't talk about it. I'm like, how can you not talk about it? There's, you know, there's all this stuff going on and, you know, and the unsolved mystery of it just drove me absolutely bananas and hearing all of this stuff subsequently i'm just so interested in how she came to be so clever and who who this person is i have to ask something really pressing because of course i did not grow up in minnesota is this mansion is this like a coming of age field trip that every that minnesotans take is this a or is it Yes, no, maybe. I I mean, I think my, well, I think it's one of the things, if you go to Duluth, maybe, Mm -hmm. and and it's it's two hours away, I mean, sometimes, you know, parents are like, let's take our kids. And it's something to do with the kids. But a lot of, um, I always created, it's like, I say it's like the Downton Abbey of of Minnesota, somewhat like the James J. Hill Mansion as well. Um, This gloriously beautiful home that is set on the rocky lakes of Superior. And it's just, it's stunning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she had everything. She was literally orphan Annie. She's adopted as is her sister. So she was adopted by Elizabeth. She was adopted as a baby and she had everything. And then, and that's what always strikes me when I tour the mansion now, is I think to myself, what happened to you? You had everything. You literally were taken out of squalor into a mansion Mm. on a lake and it wasn't enough it just wasn't enough and you know she was diagnosed a sociopath when she was 17 um and so it's so yes to answer your question yes there are a lot of people that go there there but there are still and i think maybe more so back in the day because now you know 77 it's 46 years ago so now people are maybe starting to they still go and visit but it may not have that same immediacy Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll tell you last year we had the, we, for the first time people have been wanting us to tour the show and we took it on tour finally last year and we did it in Duluth ah. and we were down the street from the mansion and that was bizarre. And at first I thought, oh, what's going to happen? And they loved it. They loved it. They laughed so hard at some of the very, um, inside jokes about Duluth and, um, we had people show up. We have a lot of people who show up in costume now, like Marjorie. Um, so oh, become, that is so crazy. Yeah, it's become a it. bit of a Rocky Horror. <laughs> little, there's not. There's a few times where I look out because Marjorie is very famous for um, her sort of famous shot. Is she wears a scarf with these really big sunglasses. Um, and so a lot of times we look out in the audience and see people with scarves and sunglasses. Um, that during, rocks. I know. During Duluth, there was a woman she was waving at me during intermission and my character comes out and sort of acknowledges the audience at intermission. And um, finally I realized she was holding up a jar of what looked like 
um, jam or something. And she told, she found me later and said, no, it was marmalade because that is marmalade is the thing that Marjorie is suspected of having used poison in to first on her mother, which didn't work. And then on other people. So she was holding up a jar of marmalade. (laughs) Marmalade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jen, have you been with the, with this production from inception? You've been, yeah. that's wild. That's that, awesome. It's a rare opportunity. You must mm-hmm. know that as an actor, a rare it's, opportunity to live with something for, for that long. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's glorious. It's been so good. And I, I always tell people that the first year I'm a, I trained at St. Olaf College in Northfield and I trained in, you know, I was a lyric soprano. So, and this part is very much not that it is a belter all the way. And I, the first year I did it, I was like, I, I, don't, I am not vocally, I am not doing this right. So I reached out to a friend of mine from college who's now become my vocal coach and she helped me, but I had the opportunity because it's come back so much to really figure out how to sing this role in a way that is much more suited to the character and suited to my voice. And it has been such a treat to be able to just explore the technique who gets to do that? I mean, we don't usually the shows comes and then it's over. Um, or you're lucky enough to be in a show that runs for our, you know, years. And that never happens here in this town. So for it to come back every year, it's like, and plus then you have a year's worth of um, experience under your belt. So that informs the, the show as well, which is interesting. This, this show reminds me so much because of the repetitive nature of sheer madness. Have you ever heard of that show? You oh, know, yeah. it's going mm-hmm. at the Kennedy center when in Boston forever. And I think it finally close up up there with the pandemic but it reminds me of sheer madness meets like sweeney todd (laughs) only only it's true and of course as minnesotans if you go and visit duluth you're going to take your kids to the murder mansion you know yeah nothing fargo about that yeah and it's you know it's also we were up when we were up there the whole cast went and went on a private tour of the mansion and and they still wouldn't talk to us about the murders we were like uh, we probably know more than you do at this point because we've done so many research there are like three different books out there and they're highly i highly recommend all of them um because it's just you just can't you can't get over there's so many things that we leave out of the play that we just don't have time to touch on um and and i will circle back to that in a second but the um the the on the tour the people were we could hear guests, other guests in the rooms. And I would hear people saying, do you think, do you think it was this? Do you think it was this room? I think it was this room. I'm not sure if it was, I think, no, I think it was over. I think it was in the other one. It was the other one. And so we'd all come by and be like, it was this room, you know, <laughs> it was just, um, so while I understand uh, the, the people that I, it's been turned over to the university of Duluth and U of M Duluth. And while I understand that they don't wish for the murders to overshadow the legacy of these people. I get that completely. And it is, I I almost feel like by not acknowledging it, we're not giving honor to the people who lost their lives there. So when you just like, whenever I go up the staircase and cross the bench where Velma was followed, I, I have to take a moment of silence because it's just like a woman died here. And to just walk by going, look at the stained glass and the oak. Isn't that pretty? Is a little bit there's a fine line between uh, exploitativeness and, I suppose, mm-hmm. tastefully recognizing history and reality. It doesn't and- surprise me that they simply refuse, but yeah. right. maybe there's a fine, and maybe with enough enough distance, who knows? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some. I mean, if if the family gave the house over, maybe they they said 
you don't get to talk about the murders. I mean, that might have been part of it. It very yeah. well could be. It very well yeah. could be. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the circling back the exploitiveness, the exploitativeness and all that, um, the fine line. So going back to that story I was telling about the gentleman whose parents were taken from him. This was the second time he'd seen the show. And I, you know, I said, how, how, how do you feel about it? And he said, well, the first time I was a little trepidatious, um, but I will tell you that I came back because it was a relief. And I said, can you explain more? And there's one particular part in the show which is a very have played by my um, just Sandra Stuthers who plays my sister in it. And she does this. It is one of the most wordy songs you will ever. Oh my God. It's like Sondheim on steroids. And she, she does this wonderful job of spitting out all this exposition of all these things that Marjorie has done. And Ron brilliantly staged it using Barbie dolls to depict what is, I know you're <laughs> Kevin just went, um, but it's basically like, here's Marjorie and here's, and you know, so that you just have to see it to believe it. But anyway, at the end, as the victims are let go, they are tossed across the stage strewn. Mm. And he said, that was the part that made him weep because that is what Marjorie did is she would use people and throw them away. And that was it. And he said for him, that was the part of the show that gave him the um, release that he needed. So I know that there's been people there whenever there's something, it's always comes up. There's some, some person on social media will jump on and say something like, how dare you make this This is terrible. You are horrible people to which I say to them, see the show first and then make a decision. And second, if the victims families can come and find release, I think they're the ones that get to decide whether or not it's worth being told. Right. I mean, and then that that's a very, very tricky line to walk, because if you start saying this is off limits, then where does it stop? Where, where does it begin? Who gets to tell any story at any point in, in time? So mm-hmm. but I'm I'm a student of history and try to be my, mindful of that. That's that's fascinating. That must have been quite a night after uh, you almost want to take that guy out for a drink. <laughs> Like, yeah, Yeah, right. Like she's, we've had so many, I mean, I can't tell you how many stories there was one talk back we had and, and one of the, it's called the nurse's song in the show. And Mm -hmm. Wendy Lair um, plays both of the victims and she just rips your heart out on this song. And people are just wrecked after that number. And um, after one of the talkbacks, there's so many people have stories about this. And there was a gentleman that said, he was in the hospital and Velma, the nurse, was his his nurse and she stayed with him for 24 hours and round the clock service. And when she passed, he was just destroyed. It's so sad. And then to come and see her given this honor in a way was really, really powerful for him. So I think that's sort of the other piece of this show is that they found between the the music, the playwright and the staging from Ron they found a way to to walk that fine line of being able to stand aghast at at this these people and we haven't even talked about Roger Caldwell who is played by my wonderful dear friend Dane Stoffer and that was Marjorie's second husband and he was the one that was a, convicted of their murders and then after Marjorie's trial was had to be released, it's a long story. You have to come see the show. But he plays 
Oh my gosh. Dane plays Roger as the best Patsy you can ever. He is so, he is, he, she just uses him like a puppet and, and he plays him so quote, he just plays him like a dumb fool who is just easily manipulated and thinks that he knows what he's talking about. And he's a raging alcoholic and he becomes in the first act, he is the villain. And in the second act, he is the victim and Dane just figures out a way to play this, both of those sides. And he, it is, it is, I have to often, I have to like look away from him a lot on the show though, because he makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's not, and it's not boring to do even seven times. You still, you get up there, you still get the the vibe. No. Well, you know, I was talking to another person, I was doing another interview, but, um, and this is an odd thing to say, but it, it always changes every year how it how it informs. And our cast has gone through a lot of our own personal tragedies. Like I lost my mom. Dane lost his dad. You know, we've had all these. My, Sandra lost her mom. There's really so these big things have happened that sort of inform how you come into the character anyway. And then the other part that I noticed, which was so fascinating to me, we first did this in October of 2015. And then. The second, we came back that summer of July of 2016, and that was when the election was in full swing. And then November came, and we all know what happened and who won. And the next year that we did, and so in 2017, so after a few six months of having Trump as president, the response to Marjorie was so very different than the previous year. Because the previous year, they were still kind of laughing and, you know, really finding all her humor. And the second year, there was so much more reticence as far as like, who, what is she going to do? Who Now, I can't say that that is directly related to, but I, I just felt like as a collective, as a society, there was this sense of, oh, my God, what can this? We thought it was going to be kind of a showmanship, but oh, it's going to be. Ugh. There and, was a vibe. There was a vibe yeah. shift. That you yeah. were picking up. That's interesting. It was really, really odd. And it continued for, and now I have, you know, whenever I get reticent applause, I'm sort of pleased by that because I get the sense that people are wanting to applaud the actor, but not necessarily the character, mm. Um, mm. which at least that's what I tell myself <laughs> as I drink myself to sleep and sadness. <laughs> 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 I don't get it. But it <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> but I do th- well, this took a hard left turn. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it, it's Glenn Sheen. It does sound like a very peaty scotch, right? The the, the Glenn Sheen. You should uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. doesn't it? Uh, and, and so, and Jen, you're uh, you're from Minnesota. You, did you were born and raised? Yep, I was born and raised in Red Wing, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We also took the tour last year down there and that was really fun to go home and perform on my sort of home stage um so yeah I was raised in Minnesota and then I moved to I went to school at St. Olaf and then I moved to London for a year to do some studying in Oxford and then I bounced around and I went to LA for a while and ended up back here because you know here you can get leading roles and own a home. Whereas sometimes if you're in LA you're like I'm gonna live with five people and get a five-line part that was my decision. 
So. I, I met an Uber driver who one night, you know, was taking me from one place in LA to another place in LA, which somehow always takes 50 plus minutes. I don't understand. Doesn't it's matter. a vortex. But he was explaining how he and his partner, his wife, whatever, uh, man, were managing their mortgage. And it was, they both had three jobs. You know, I mean, yeah. just surreal, yeah. strange. Yeah. I, yeah. My extended family, my mom was born in, um, uh, was born in California and LA. So my extended family is out there. And when I go visit them, it's always a treat because you see, they've been there for 50 years and they've, <laughs> they live in Manhattan beach in the South Bay area where there's like, it's very Tony. And <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. this is great living out here. And then when I realized I had to do it on my own, I was like, Oh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the valley is a lot different <laughs> yeah yeah i could deal with five months of winter in exchange for like a significant chunk of my life back for sure yeah. it's yeah. not for not for everybody i i'd like to spend more time in la but uh yeah and, and what you know who's who's not i mean as an actor this opportunity to keep coming back and doing a show like this is just just wicked cool it's yeah it's tremendous it's one mm. of yeah it's one of those things where you know i i've i kind of always get to the point where i'm like what happens if some amazing opportunity presents itself and I have to decide between mm. it because now it's become this so far that hasn't happened and, and that's okay, but I'm, it's really, really a difficult thing to move. I, I just feel so connected to, I mean, from the workshop stage, we were putting it together and then I mean, different iterations and we've worked so hard that it's, it would be hard to, it would be hard to watch someone else do it. I'm not saying that it might not happen someday, but I was just going to ask that. Um, it, would it be difficult to sit in the audience and watch a whole new cast perform this? Um, I, I don't. You know, it depends. I mean, if if I'd you know if I'd moved on to doing something that I was really happy at, it'd be great. <laughs> but if I was you know waiting tables and you know uh, that might be hard. Um, but no, I think that it's. I will, you know, I keep waiting and I know that it, that the rights are now available for other theaters to do it. Personally, I think that it could work in other places um, because of the true story aspect, because mm. Americans audiences are so interested in based on true events. I think it could be crime. Yes. Yeah. And I, I know that there are specific jokes that are known to Minnesota and Duluth, but I personally think it could it could play elsewhere. I it hasn't as far as I know it hasn't happened in or is, is planning anytime soon, but you never know. And that would be really interesting to see, you know, if it got picked up by a different theater and we weren't involved in it. I yeah, I would like to go see how what a different take on it might be. be but they're not taking the the part from you. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll be the first one writing in saying so. <laughs> yeah. I see on your season. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Mari. Well, I, you know, I'm so curious. You've been playing this role for seven years and you've never seen anybody else play it. I mean, we, we, we've talked about this woman's actions and the things that she's done. What's it been like living with that in your head on and off for seven years? Do you feel in a way like you get her or um, not at all? Well, I always laugh. My husband laughs at me because every time I go back into rehearsals, I, and I, I don't notice it until, but I get really crabby and surly and, and snappish for the next, you know, first couple of days. And I'm just, you know, and then there's a lot more swearing that comes out of me. And finally, it's like, suddenly I realize, oh, oh, I'm back doing this. Oh, I got to shake it off here. Shake it off a little bit. Cause I come off of this, like, and the way I've, the way I've 
the hook I found into her because it's the reason I love playing the role for many reasons is that there's, um, and I think, I think probably most characters in the show could attest to it, um, is that th- there's no, it's not a one note character. So I'm doing everything from comedy to raging drama to conniving to seducing. It's all the colors. And, you know, Roger does the same thing. We have other characters playing like Adam, Adam Qualls and Gary Briggle and Randy Schmaling. They all just whipping clothes off, changing all these different characters. Um, so there's never a dull moment. Um, but for me, the way I could, to me, to bring the hook in was, I believe that she operates from a level of, it is always someone else's fault. So yes, m- we had to murder mom because she wasn't going to give me the money. And that's not okay because I earned it and I did this and this and this. These are all things in my head that I've made up or, mm. you know, it is, well, it's not my fault. No, of course that happened because he, he wasn't listening to me. It's always someone else's fault. So that sometimes I also think from the start was this woman just mental health from the very beginning. She, We know that her mother, a, her biological mother, was a um she was listed as a kleptomaniac um and her she was unmarried and who i mean i don't know but was there already something is that was that a part of who she was and did it she just couldn't ever get past that so that when she makes these choices is she operating from a broken little kid like a broken little girl who's trying who doesn't even realize that she was quote abandoned by her mother even while she was adopted by a really loving biological or adopted mother. So I have to just, I have to sort of balance it out and and to play it with the idea that everything is someone else's fault. And there's a reason I had to do this. That's my, that's how I get through it. Um, but then I have to work on letting it go because she, she can get into my skin a little bit. Fun. Well, I mean, if it's like everybody says, and she's so fun and charismatic, I mean, that's something you run into with a lot of, people who are self-destructive and then hurt themselves too, is that they're just, Mm -hmm. people say that they're just the best time. I mean, that's what people used to say about Mm -hmm. Amy Winehouse is they would say the same thing is she's so much fun until she decides she doesn't need you anymore. And I think, you know, many sociopaths are known to be, and now there's a debate as to whether or not she might actually have been a psychopath versus a sociopath, which there is a difference. And um, Mm -hmm. she really, they, they don't really think she had much, empathy and feeling of emotions. Um, but she, they are known to be incredibly charismatic and fun and charming and they can spin a story. And, you know, she's, she was known to be a very intelligent person. So it, it's, um, I just, it's all goes back to, it's just very sad. She, I'm so sorry that she had whatever happened to her that, that it wasn't enough. And then she took so many people down with her cause it was unnecessary. And there was her sister, Jennifer had, you know, she was a lovely woman, but I think after the loss of their mother, she was never the same again. You know, it's just, just so, so much tragedy. Do you hmm. think that her sister knew that she likely did it and not, it was alluded to that that was she was fairly certain. Um, and we also know that we met one of the let's see, he was the prosecutor on the trial. Yes, prosecutor. And he in a talk back once said, you know, Roger was the one that was convicted. 
Marjorie was um, accused of conspiracy to commit murder. They always thought there might have been a third person involved, but they never had enough evidence to fully pursue it. And they and somebody said, well, is that person still alive? And they said they would not answer the question. So it's we don't none of us know who that person may be. When you were originating the play, when you were workshopping it at all the rest, did everybody buy copies of all the books? Did they throw a lot of historical material at you? Was there a binder that a dramaturg or one of the writers shared? What was that going back, let's say almost 10 years now? Was that part of the process? Uh, for me, it was. The minute I was cast, yeah. I went out and bought every single book and started reading. And then I know Dane did the same thing. And then um, I think I'm, I'm guessing most of us have all read the books. Um, and then we had a couple of the authors come and sell their books. But we, you know, we worked a lot with with there wasn't a dramaturg per se, but we um, when you go to the show, they have all sorts of blow ups of the original 1977 newspaper clippings and all these um, things that you can see in the Star Trib and um, so that you can't and there is a you know if you want if you like spoilers you want to read ahead there's all sorts of a timeline that happens so yeah I went back and read through and there's you know a small little nugget for people to pick up on is Marjorie was an avid knitter she knitted like crazy and so during her trial she calmly just sat and knitted the entire way her through her trial. It's so Minnesota. Very sweet. It really is, dude. And she's this just is... real sweet, nice little lady, just knitting away, you know, crates. And knit um, one kill and two. She, knit one she would kill bring, two. Bring, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And she would bring up she brought a pie to um the and offered it to the prosecutor. And he was like, mm, thanks, I'll pass, thinking like poison. Um and so in the show, I asked, I'm like, is there please a place that I can find a place to knit? And they were like, yeah, you can do that. So I was able to get knitting in. So you'll just have to keep your eye out for that. Fantastic. Yes. That's how you know you're a fantastic actress is you take something like that. That's like a tiny little detail that not many people would pick up on. But the people who notice it are just like salivating over it because it's so good. That's awesome. Well, now we'll know to look for the knitting. Yep. Look for uh, the knitting. Yep. Jen, do you have anything lined up after Glen Sheen this July? Where where else in town do you work when you're not with history theater? <laughs> well, I <laughs> I was I just got finished doing um a show uh just this past March. I was doing um a two-hander over at Gremlin Theater. I was doing Bakersfield Mist, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Yeah, you're nodding your head. Um it's I... a it's a re it's another it's another based on a true story, um, which I didn't really put that together until just now. But it's um, this wild story of a woman who was sort of a trucker, thrifter, not very educated woman who came across a painting in a thrift store for three bucks. Ah, and it was, I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah and go it was on. A, thought it was a Jackson Pollock and tried to get it. And, you know, the long and it's a really there's a there's a documentary on on YouTube about it called I, Who the Blank is Jackson Pollock mm -hmm. and it's like ampersands and you know, all that stuff. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a wild story. So I was able to do that two-hander and I haven't done a two-hander like that since like working with walking shadow. So it was really, really, really fun to, to do that kind of work again. And not, I love musicals. I love them very much. Um, but every once in a while, it's nice to go back to that kind of work that I did a lot in college or fresh out of college. Um, so that was what I did then. And then coming up, 
apparently I'm just going to stay at the history theater. I'm going to do their next uh, show called Boy Wonder, which is about um, the Minnesota's youngest governor, Harold Stassen. So I will be playing his mother in that. And it's a new show. I know nothing about it other than I play the mother and uh, various other roles. And I will go into that in uh, right like the end of August. So who who ended up writing that? Keith Hovis. Keith okay. Hovis. Yeah. yeah. So. I vaguely remember a conversation I had with Ron ages ago where I think he brought up Harold Stassen for some reason. So it's it's nice to see that they're turning it in, in, into a play. That should be interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's always with history. I've done I've done a lot of work at the History Theater and I'm very, very grateful to that theater house for hiring me. Um, but that I always find it so interesting because some of the some of the stuff is rather esoterical and kind of far reaching and some of it is not. And it works. It's just it's interesting to see. But there is true. There's something about historical history is interesting. Yes, you know? it is. It's like, mm. let's talk. Let's talk more about those stories. Like apparently Harold Stassen, I didn't know this. Apparently he was one of the people that like they brought on to create the United Nations. Who knew? Right. Yeah. So, these are things we yeah. learn. Sure. Yeah. So I went to the University of Minnesota. Go Gophers. Yeah. yeah. So that's, All right. that's what I know as far as so I'll be there through October. And then, okay. and then, you know, it's the game of, okay, now what? Hmm. Well, I want to ask you, you know, as we wind down, we maybe have another five minutes uh, or so. I want to ask you, when did you determined to become an actor? I know that's like a, maybe a cliche grab bag question, but I'm genuinely curious. I love meeting uh, other people in the theater and I, I'd like to know. Um, well, as a child, I was desperately shy and I was um, people pleaser. And when I got in, I was a freshman in high school and I tried out for this play and I I liked it. My grandmother on my mom's side, she was an actress. Um, in her youth. And she came to see it and she thought, Oh my gosh, she's funny. Um, and right then I just sort of, it, it allowed me to in true min Midwestern fashion, I was afraid to show my feelings a lot in like, even with my family and the theater allowed me a venue to be loud and crazy and silly or rageful and angry or, you know, so I always, I, I have friends of mine that joke with me about I play extremes really well, extreme anger, extreme goofiness, but, you know, sort of the middle line. But that's theater is where my outlet comes for that. Um, so that's so ninth grade is when I did my first thing. And then I kind of just continued on through um, through high school. And when I got to decided to go pursue it in college, I really did take the, the look of like, is there anything else that gives me passion or makes me drives me as much as there anything else? Cause it, you know, the old adage, if you can do anything else and be happy doing it, just do it. Cause it's such a hard business. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, at the time I thought, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And, you know, it, there have been points when I thought, well, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to, I just can't do it. And then there are times when it swings back and I think, okay. Um, but I, so that's sort of how I landed um, in and have just sort of, and I've been, you know, I have to be very creative. I've learned how to become my, I use my voice a lot as a voice actor. Um, I've ended up narrating audiobooks. I'm an audio describer now for a great company called Three Play Media. For those people that don't know what that is, it's um, 
imagine if it's closed captioning, instead of closed captioning, it's for people who are blind or low vision watching television. So I describe what happens in between the scenes. So one of my favorite shows to audio describe is Beavis and Butthead. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I think think that has to tie into our episode episode title, Kevin. I don't know. Jen Marin describes Beavis Beavis and and Butthead. It's it's literally just going to be Jen Marin returns to Glenn Sheen, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I think that'll be a little more. But then do uh, it like like have like Beavis, like just like hmm. the side of him just showing up. Sure, (laughs) sure. Yeah, I'm going to spend the better part of my evening uh, coding some custom HTML for this. Uh, Well, that's great. I think we got time for, you know, maybe one or two more questions here real, real quick, Jen. I wanted to ask you about the process of creating Glenn Sheen with this team, because it seems like this, this production, this show, by many measures, measures, people would say this is very successful. If people are demanding, it comes back. If it comes back, if it continually sells tickets, again, it continually sells is there something distinct, and this isn't to throw shade on other shows or anything, because we all know that, like you say, it's a very, very difficult business, and why one show catches fire and another might not is, it's a mystery most of the time. But was there something about this process or just doing it where you guys, where you, you, your team, you all kind of looked at each other and said, geez, this is a banger. We got a banger on our hands. Did you know, or was it just like, wow, was it a surprise? Well- the show was selling tickets like crazy before we even opened. And mm. that was so then, you know, at one point somebody said, what is it? Why are they driving? And they said, I've, I've known about this story forever. So there was that. And then we mm. weren't show, uh, we weren't sure how it was going to be responded to at all. And that the first like two nights we thought, what, what's what's going to happen here? And And then suddenly, and I still feel this now, the first act is they're still kind of trying to figure out what what is this show? What are, and after they leave during intermission, they talk to each other and they're like, this is really funny. And then the second act, they just lose their minds. Um, so, but doing it has been, um, I try to explain it like this, that I, you know, when you just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up Hamilton and I'm not saying we are anywhere in the same realm as Hamilton, not at all, not at all, but like, or book of Mormon or choose some musical that or some show, any show, Tom Stoppard's Leopoldstadt, like, you watch it and you go, you just leave going, I am so satisfied. Like mm. I am, I was not left wanting anything. The every element that actors were at the top of the game, there's the set, the you know, every piece of it. There was nothing that you go, well, I wish that this had been different. Sure. And I think personally, I think that that sort of happened with this particular group of people, pairing of artists and collaborators. And it's just everybody was in the right spot at the right time about a really interesting story. And it just, I think people leave feeling satisfied because I, I, I've i received many messages from people who said, oh my God, I laughed, I cried, I got angry. And I think they leave thinking, I, I'm, I am satisfied. I have had an excellent seven course meal, including, Love it. you know. Glenn Sheen at History Theater. You can get tickets at historytheater.com. That's theater, T-R-E dot com. This is Mouthing Off on 94.1 FM, Frogtown Radio from Badmouth Theater Company, badmouthtc.com. With a great Jen Marin. Jen, thank you for joining us. Jen, where, real quickly, where can people find you? Are you on the socials? Yeah, I'm on the socials, but you can also head to jenmarin.com. 
And all of my up stuff is coming up is on there. You'll find everything you want. JenMarin.com. M-A-R-E-N. Thanks again, Jen. Thank you so much. Amanda Mari, next time. Bye. 